Hi everybody, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it is our privilege and honour to have with us Dana Goward, who is the President of Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation. Good morning, Dana. Good morning, nice to see you. Great to have you here. I'd love for you to just share with our students and those that are watching the recording um, how you came to be involved in PNT and GPS and all these amazing things that I'd like to learn about today. Well, thank you, and I'm flattered that you all would find this interesting. So uh, my background uh, is as a helicopter pilot, primarily, uh, for the United States Coast Guard. So during the course of this discussion, we'll be using uh, short words and small sentences, uh, necessarily. Um, but um, uh, after I graduated from, uh, from that, I uh, became a, a staff officer and uh, uh, for the U.S. Coast Guard. And when I retired from uniform, uh, the service was kind enough to hire me back as a civilian employee. And in the course of uh, those assignments, I uh, became the Maritime Navigation Authority for the United States, um, not only uh, buoys and lighthouses, but uh, regulating bridges to make sure they were tall enough for ships to get underneath, um, uh, rules of the road so ships and boats didn't bump into each other more than they absolutely had to. Uh, and uh, coastal and offshore planning, that sort of thing. And of course, um, uh, electronic navigation systems uh, were uh, a part and parcel of that. So um, when, I, uh, when I retired from that position, there was uh, one hanging chad, uh, if you will, one unexecuted uh, mandate from over 40 years of public service, and that was a a uh, requirement from uh, the president in 2004 of the U.S. Uh, to have a backup system for uh, GPS, uh, which we uh, we almost had, but uh, but but we uh, we disestablished for a number of very bad bureaucratic reasons. And so, um, a former assistant secretary of the Air Force and I, uh, since it didn't seem as though the uh, government was uh, going to be living up to its promises to, uh, to do the right thing, decided to form a, a nonprofit, a scientific and educational charity uh, in order to uh, uh, inform the public uh, and uh, encourage leaders to develop uh, systems and policies to protect GPS signals and users. Uh, subsequent to that, I was appointed to the President's National Space-Based Positioning Navigation and Timing Advisory Board, and I also serve on Space Command's uh, uh, purposeful interference response team, um, but uh, have been doing uh, have been doing this uh, well uh, with a small stipend, but essentially pro bono as a continuation of public service for the last uh, eight years. Thank you. I'm just becoming familiar with the terminology. So, can you just dig into a little bit uh, positioning? navigation and timing sure well most folks are familiar with gps i mean it's what hmm. uh, what shows up on your cell phone and sometimes in your car navigation systems helps you find your way from uh, point a to point b um, often with the addition of uh, uh, software uh, and uh, crowdsourcing information it will help you find the most efficient way uh, from point a to point b uh, but uh, GPS is uh, really just a series of satellites that are highly precise clocks that are orbiting the Earth. Uh, and of course, they have their counterparts, uh, the Russian, Chinese, and European counterparts uh, uh, in terms of their satellite constellations. But all of these uh, satellites are just highly precise clocks. In fact, there are three highly precise clocks on each one. 
Uh, and um, what they provide is really the kind of thing that, uh, that everybody needs. It's called positioning, navigation, and timing. That is the service. So as with a lot of things, most people don't care about how it gets there as long as they have the service. And, uh, and uh, so we refer generally to, uh, uh, to position, navigation, and timing as the requirement. So uh, positioning uh, clearly is, uh, is important. You need to know where you are. Navigation. Something that uh, your uh, the computer and your cell phone or navigation device uh, uses positioning uh, to and maps to uh, to enable, uh, but timing is really the critical piece there. Uh, as I mentioned, they're uh, they're highly precise clocks, and they all transmit a timing signal simultaneously. And when that timing signal gets to your cell phone or other device, um, it um, uh, the, your device measures the difference in time of arrival and says, well, I know they were transmitting at all the same time, but because I got it at a slightly different time here from, and from there, it's able to determine in three dimensions where, uh, where you are. Uh, so, uh, not only is timing fundamental to, uh, uh, navigation, but it's also fundamental to a whole variety of things in terms of cell phone synchronization, digital broadcast, and other essential services uh, uh, that we uh, we take for granted. So. so in a situation where there's a natural disaster or an emergency and cell phone towers are down, are people able to still uh, use GPS, or is that only through the cell towers they can? Oh use? no, yes. Yeah. So they uh, so cell town cell towers and uh, and wireless systems uh, will supplement GPS, but uh, but the basic service arrives uh, free from the sky, uh, and it supports uh, it supports cell towers and, and and such. Now, if GPS was to go away, then cell towers and other services would degrade because they depend on it. That's that's the relationship there. GPS is the underlying, or I should say, P and T is the underlying. Uh, silent utility, if you will. Okay, so phones get their GPS signal directly from a satellite rather than through a cell tower? They do, yes, that's correct. Okay, yeah. so you led the creation of the National and International Anti-Piracy Standards and the National Plan to Achieve Maritime Domain Awareness. Why don't you tell us about that and what it means and the impact of these? So, yes, yeah, so uh, somewhat somewhat separate from my uh, PNT uh, duties and responsibilities. But yes, uh, before I was uh, involved with uh, that quite so much, uh, I was involved with um, a number of uh, national and international maritime policy issues as the uh, Navigation Authority for the United States and in other capacities in which I served. So um, uh, your, uh, your students and, and you may recall the uh, Maersk, uh, Alabama, and how it was uh, seized by pirates off the coast of so uh, Somalia. Um, uh, that uh, our, our development of anti-piracy um, uh, policies and our international work there was uh, based on some very simple and clear directions from President Obama at the time, that that won't happen again, uh, make it so. And um, it is, um, it's always difficult to work within government, but it's much easier if you have very clear and uh, direct tasking from the president, uh, because uh, you can turn to all of those who uh, might not be quite so uh, eager to uh, contribute and say, well, look, it's not me, it's, it's the big guy. Uh, so uh, so that, was, uh, that was interesting. Uh, and we focused uh, not so much on uh, catching and punishing pirates uh, as um, uh, preventing the piracy to begin uh, to begin with uh, so uh, uh, 
uh, ensuring that uh, that ships transiting those kinds of waters and in fact transiting all waters because it, uh, we're, we're aware of and took uh, the needed precautions so that uh, it would be much more difficult to um, uh, for pirates to to board them and uh, interfere with their operations. Uh, that included uh, any number of best practices from uh, which were codified both nationally and internationally from uh, maintaining best speed to having fire hoses uh, posted at the appropriate times. Uh, uh, and in some instances, um, uh, having the option to carry an armed uh, armed security team, which was not as easy as it might seem because every nation the ship calls at has different rules and regulations for uh, uh, how weapons can be brought into or, or out of the country. Um, in some instances, uh, it, it, we, de we determined it was simpler for uh, the ship to... Uh, before it picked up the pilot to enter the country, just throw all the weapons overboard uh, because it was just uh, just too difficult to uh, uh, to carry them in and, in, in and out. And in, in other instances, we we developed procedures where they would be locked and secured. But uh, but yeah, that was a very uh, that was a very interesting uh, uh, experience uh, working not only with industry and across the interagency and interdepartment process in the United States, but also with uh, the United States the I mean, sorry, the United Nations, the International Maritime Organization, and um, and gaining uh, consensus and agreement and documentation of what the what the, the best practices uh, were and, and should be. And since that time, uh, we were able to uh, uh, greatly reduce the instances of piracy off the coast of uh, Somalia, and we also uh, were successful in carrying out the president's mandate with no more U.S. ships being uh, being pirated. Uh, so uh, the National Plan for Maritime Domain Awareness is, was a little bit different. That was, preceded the, uh, the anti-piracy effort. We, um, uh, after 9-11, there were uh, significant concerns that uh, the maritime uh, borders of the uh, United States were essentially open. And to some degree, they, all maritime borders are. You know, it's very difficult to, to secure uh, uh, long stretches of coastline, large. Mm -hmm. Coast, uh, exclusive economic zones. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, there was a sense that 9-11 uh, um, was somewhat of an intelligence failure and also that the intelligence community had um, uh, the way they deliver uh, products and services was um, not serving everyday uh, maritime uh uh, security forces. So um, typically an intelligence uh, alert would be very specific and it would not include a whole lot of background. Uh, whereas most folks on uh, patrol want to know about everything that's out there and uh, kind of make their own judgments and use their own experience and local knowledge to say, well, this is an anomaly and this isn't right. But they weren't getting that with um, uh, with maritime intelligence. And some folks didn't have a lot of a lot of uh, security forces didn't have access to maritime intelligence because it's very much a classified kind of thing in most instances. So um, we began in the U.S. Coast Guard what we called uh, maritime domain awareness. So uh, just understanding what's what's out there. I think we our motto was uh, see, understand, and share. Right. So the idea was to get as much unclassified information about the uh, about the re the domain 
to as many of the good guys as possible and let them take it and use uh, use their own authorities, their own experience and their own resources to do what's in the best interest of the nation. Uh, so uh, the national plan uh, for Mar uh, to achieve maritime domain awareness was kind of the high level piece of that uh, and, uh, and, and, and kind of set set the tone Docu basically documented a lot of uh, a lot of things that had already been underway sorry what was that phrase you said see understand and share and share okay mm -hmm. you mentioned when you're dealing with um, all these different agencies and the united nations and other countries setting up the anti-piracy you said to you know achieve cons consensus and commitment when that didn't happen how did you approach that and could you give us an example well, so um, that's a good question because uh, you, you know you uh, you, you tend to um, have a little bit of post-traumatic stress, you know, for some of these <laughs> things, and you know, just not try to remember the hard parts uh, and focus on the success. Um, but uh, certainly, there were there were things, especially, um, um, and I don't recall how this turned out, but uh, certainly at the United Nations, the uh, uh, level the issue of armed uh, security teams was very contentious and there was a desire to not do that um, so um, in those kinds of venues um, uh, well, United Nations everything is based on consensus uh, the consensus of the folks who are members uh, and who but who are sovereign nation states right so um, the things that didn't make it into um, the overall best practices were certainly available for uh, individual member states to adopt and include in their own uh, best practice, right? So, uh, so we did, uh, uh, we, we did, we did that, and and at some level, especially with information being as freely available as it is, you know, folks can cross check and see what other other nations are doing, and uh, and uh, sort of um, perhaps adhere to the international best practices and requirements, if you will, and then add on others, uh, other um, uh, requirements or procedures that they, they see as appropriate for themselves. So you leveraged existing laws or regulations to help get through the objections of certain groups. Is that what you're saying? Well, well, so we, um, 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 what we did, so, each nation had their their own approach, and mm. we sort of uh, selected from everybody things that we could agree on. Uh, but we didn't say just because everybody's not going to agree on that, you can't do it on your own. Right. right. So um, so yeah. So there's a basic international core of here's what you really need to do, uh, and then um, if you as a as a flag state, for example. So in maritime, there's flag states. The 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 states that really are, exercise sovereignty over a ship, right? The, the flag that the ship flies. Uh, and then there are uh, port states. Uh, so the, uh, uh, the, the nations that, that have the ports that the ships are coming to, right? So, so uh, ships have to obey both their flag states rules. And then when they're going to a port, they certainly have to obey the port states rules, right? So, uh, um, uh, using those kinds of, uh, of, uh, of authorities, uh, we were able to, uh, you know, uh, and, and then there's the international standards that everybody agrees upon. So with the combination of the three, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty easy to get a reasonable regime in place that, um, 
substantially reduced uh, uh, the ease with which piracy could be carried out. So for those of people who um, will watch a recording and they're from other nations, tell us about the U.S. Coast Guard and the size and the type of activities. You were a captain in the Coast Guard, weren't you? I was, yes. So um, so the Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard is an interesting organization. It is, um, uh, I suppose a, a commercial equivalent would be a large holding company of maritime interest because there are 11 different statutory missions and they range from everything from uh, uh, enforcement of fisheries laws to um, anti-smuggling, uh, search and rescue, regulation of uh, the uh, maritime industry, inspection of mer uh, merchant vessels, um, and it, it goes uh, goes on and on. So um, at the same time, even though it has a relatively uh, large portfolio uh, and is spread naturally, as you can imagine, across uh, the entire United States, including the Western rivers, where aids to navigation and other concerns, uh, uh, industry regulation uh, uh, takes place, and in offices around the world for, uh, uh, for liaison and uh, our international relations. Um, uh, we're still smaller than the New York City Police Department in terms of uh, the number of active duty folks. So uh, it tends to... Uh, it tends to be a very interesting uh, uh, career with uh, a lot of different opportunities, even if you spend most of your time in uh, in the cockpit, uh, uh, you know, after you, after you I, I like to say graduate, but age out would be probably a better, uh, a more accurate term. Um, even, even after you can't, uh, can't fly anymore and do all the, ex uh, or don't have the opportunity to fly anymore and, and, and do all the exciting th hands-on things, there's still a wide variety of, uh, of things to get uh, get involved with. I'd love to to hear from you for you to share some leadership experiences you had as a captain in the in the Coast Guard that were kind of formative leadership experiences. So um, it's uh, you know again, um, and I have been thinking about that in in preparation for this, and it is um, um, it's it's difficult to say because you know the, the fish don't realize that the water's wet right so while you're happening while it's happening to you and you're growing it's very hard to realize oh yes ah. but uh, but certainly there are things that uh, that one learns from um i think um one of my uh, one of my most important leadership lessons that finally dawned on me is that leadership is a duty it is something that you owe to other people um, and, um, which I don't think that a lot of people think of it that way many times. Um, if you, when you're, we all, this is true for all of us, but certainly when you're, you're occupying a position of authority, you have a, you have a responsibility to, um, encourage and instruct. And when folks get on the wrong path to set them back on the right path, in relatively short order, uh, because if you don't, then they'll continue to follow the wrong path. And then when they do that, then the failure is not only theirs, it is yours, because you have failed to give them something which you owed them. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, uh, so whenever, uh, whenever I would be a little bit reticent to, uh, to be involved or, uh, uh, you know, 
say, well, it, 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 it will probably be all right. No reason to, uh, no reason to speak up. I would remind myself, no, no, this is, this is why you're here. Uh, mm -hmm. it, is, uh, it is sharing your experience and sharing your values and, uh, and, uh, and helping people uh, do the best that they can and, and ensure that they, don't, uh, uh, that they don't stray and go, go the wrong way and, uh, and reflect poorly on themselves and you. And you. That's really great. I write that down. Leadership is a duty owed to other people. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, why don't you tell us about um, Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation and, and what it does and why you set oh. it up? Oh, yes. So, well, um, uh, I may have mentioned that we are actually a scientific and educational charity, uh, which might seem to be an unusual uh, construct. But by doing that, uh, we... Um, enable support by commercial entities, but at the same time make ourselves independent of them. And in fact, in, by the uh, uh, taxation rules in the United States, uh, we are actually prohibited from uh, supporting their, directly supporting their interests, and they are mandated to support our mission, right? So there's all kinds of nonprofits, uh, other kinds are like trade associations where you do support your members' interests. But we wanted to provide as much um, objective um, opinion and advice to the public and to governmental leadership as we could and be as independent as we could. So we established it as a, as a charity. Uh, and we advocate for policies and systems to protect uh, GPS and more generally GNSS, which are the other satellite system, navigation satellite systems, uh, to protect their their signals and and users. Right. So uh, um, we advocate for uh, uh, toughening uh, um, individual receivers, uh, protecting the signals from disruption, and providing additional signals. Uh, uh, non-space-based signals uh, and, uh, and other space-based signals so that when these global navigation satellite systems are not available, uh, folks will still have uh, the critical PNT mm. in the beginning that, uh, that they need to, uh, to continue on. So we do a lot of um, um, educational outreach. We work with uh, the Congress. We work with folks in the administration and uh, do a lot of writing and uh, this sort of thing, actually. Mm. Well, just as we wrap up, why don't you share with us, for those that are aspiring to work in the industry that you lead in, what were some, what might be some learning experiences they could put in place? Well, so um, positioning navigation timing or satellite navigation uh, generally tends to be uh, very um, a technical field. Um, we are a little bit of an anomaly because we focus on policy issues. Uh, and um, there, uh, I would say that uh, the, the niche that we occupy is the interface between uh, technology and policy. And so uh, uh, I would advise folks that it's not necessary to have a real deep technical knowledge uh, in order to uh, get into this area, but it, you have to be able to speak intelligently about it. So while you don't have to uh, perhaps design a rocket or uh, a satellite, you certainly need to be able to know what's involved with, uh, with doing so right. and how they perform, right? So uh, a good foundational um, uh, basis in terms of engineering and science 
Uh, and then uh, for the policy piece, it would be uh, social science and, and individual and social psychology, because um, that's what politics is. It's just another name for it. Um, uh, interesting intersection, because the one is very linear, very rational, certainly difficult and complicated, but it it has solvable problems in the real world that obey real world physical laws. Um, on the other hand, uh, politics and psychology are nonlinear, not necessarily rational, uh, and um, involve uh, perhaps even more complex interactions and um, factors, many of which uh, uh, are exceptionally difficult to identify and uh, almost impossible to quantify. So, uh, hmm. uh, so if folks are interested in the technology policy world, uh, I would start with a good foundation in technology and science and engineering, uh, and then uh, then dive into uh, uh, to the policy bit. Because once you're over in in the policy world, uh, it's it will suck you in like a black hole, and you'll uh, uh, you you only uh, occasionally look back into the uh, and finally remember the. Uh, uh, the halcyon days of when when things really made sense and you could you could solve it on the <laughs> calculator. Well, Dana Goward, President of Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation, really thank you for your time and sharing your expertise and your experiences. You are appreciated. It's my pleasure, uh, Dr. Hansen. Thank you. For those of you who are watching the recording uh, or hearing about this, if you're interested in getting a bachelor or a master's in emergency response and risk management, right now we're redeveloping our program. So do reach out to us on uard.org or uard.ac.nz and join us in the new way of making sure that higher education is accessible for anyone, anytime, anywhere, and probably due to PNT. So thank you, Dana, for being with us. 